In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We continue our time of meditation to be truly close to God and to speak to God our Father in the Holy Spirit. We know the Trinity is aware right now of every thought of ours, every desire, every image that comes through our mind, every mental login, every heartbeat is counted. Every hair on our head is counted by God our Father. And so we must be open to that grace of God. And that openness can come through a fundamental disposition, what a disposition we could call sincerity. Because if we do not have a fundamental disposition of sincerity, it is hard to see how that encounter with God, our Father, in the Holy Spirit can really take, take place. I mean, if we had a time machine, we could certainly set the dial back and go to the public life and watch our Lord as he walked along with the apostles, and we could walk with him and the apostles through Palestine, and we could there see all the different encounters that the Lord had with different people. And indeed, there are many encounters that he had. We'd see his encounter with Nicodemus, who came to him at night with a certain fear and apprehension. We'd see the Samaritan woman who spoke to him at the well, and with the baggage of her life that she so clearly opened up to him about, or the woman with the blood flow who had been suffering for so many years, or the centurion with his responsibilities, or Zacchaeus who climbed up that tree and opened up in front of everyone to invite him to his home, or the rich man, the rich young man rather, who, who asked him a very important question about how to get to, how to obtain eternal life. Or even Pilate. Pilate asked, what is truth? In perhaps a, a cynical way, but I think nevertheless sincere. Many of these people made contact with our Lord. They kind of clicked and they somehow felt understood and they let themselves be understood and that encounter with our Lord no doubt changed their life but not everyone who met Jesus had a fruitful encounter 
And that's why for us to have a fruitful encounter, to attract that grace, we need simplicity, we need uh, sincerity, we need to really relinquish all kind of facade, all appearances of looking good, like we're really somebody or something important. And, uh, well, relinquish everything that is appearance and go beyond the appearance because the Lord is truly attracted by a sincere heart. We know how often our Lord warns us against the yeast of the Pharisees, which he describes as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He really doesn't like hypocrisy, which is the opposite of sincerity. It's the opposite of simplicity. Those who pretend to be more than, that they, than what they really are, or who develop a kind of a mask of pretense and speak one way but live another, like actors on a stage who woo the audience, but then they get off the stage and they remove their mask. And they're utterly different. They're not the people that we thought they were on stage. But we know that that's what actors are supposed to do. But a hypocrite doesn't do it on the stage. He does it in his ordinary life. Naturally, I, I know, we, we may not see ourselves as hypocrites or, or stage actors. But maybe, I don't know, the virtue of sincerity or simplicity is not as well anchored in our soul, perhaps, as it ought to be in our dispositions, in our behaviors, in our, in our, in our words. That's what we have to look at as we do our prayer in front of our Lord here. How well anchored is sincerity and simplicity in our words, our behavior, so that we can detect any lack of authenticity and as a result, any lack of humility and as a further result, any lack of true, uh, true cheerfulness. Because as, well, as priests, we, we have to be ourselves, we have to be sincere and authentic, but we also have to help others to be sincere and authentic and open up. It's a very important role that we have to help them to be truly transparent. Because often people keep things bottled up for years sometimes. And when they finally come to a priest, they, they unleash their burdens and they feel lighter and then can come more easily in contact with the truth about themselves. We were often the instrument of that unleashing uh, or, or that opening up, you could say. So we ask in the presence of God, am I a person that is easy to speak to? Is it possible that, is it possible that by my words, by my behavior, by my attitude, that perhaps I might unwittingly give signs, well, that make people a little bit, put them on their guard when they speak to me. They're afraid of, of being embarrassed, that we might say something. That's why we really have to look. Simplicity, sincerity, humility, and cheerfulness, these things, they all break down many, many barriers. Anybody who is simple, anybody who is sincere, who is humble, and above all, well, above all, 
also somebody who is cheerful habitually is an easy person to talk to. And we have to be people that are easy to talk to. People should not be on their guard. Certainly, they shouldn't be like walking on eggshells. What if I say this? Is, is Father going to react uh, and, and, and wave his finger at me? Of course, we know, we know. I mean, in a generic sense, we, we sense that we wouldn't do that. But how simple am I really? You know, St. Josemaria suffered a lot in his life, but he was often described, despite the suffering, despite the reject and rejection, and, you know, just even the cal calumny that he suffered, he was often described as a master of good humor. Imagine that, a master of good humor. You know, some people are masters at, at jujitsu, you know, but no, he was master of good humor. That didn't, didn't mean he was a, a clown. That didn't mean he was a, a comedian. But he loved, for example, he loved get-togethers. He, he didn't like just going, going to conferences or, or he wasn't a man of great oratory in the sense that he could speak to great large crowds. But he liked kind of hanging out with people in these simple contexts, in living rooms that were tastefully decorated, uh, or a nice dining room where we're having a nice meal. And many people who remember what he said, they remembered in a context like that, not in a context of, uh, of let's say, great grandiose importance. I would say many of the words of wisdom that came from him came from those kinds of contexts, as, as well as his preaching, of course. But, but often it was even way more in those like little family kind of style get-togethers. And that was largely because he was a man of great simplicity, sincerity, authenticity. And he was transparent. He was, he was candid. And we all have the experience how people will be transparent with us. As priests, we have that experience, that people suddenly are transparent. You barely know the person, and within a few minutes, they already tell you about their marriage is going downhill, or their struggles, or, of course, obviously, they open up in the sacrament of reconciliation. But we have to, we have to really facilitate that simplicity or that openness. And we ask you now, Lord, never let any hypocrisy make its way into my way of acting or, or my behavior in any way. So we have to identify if there's anything in my behavior, in my words, that would betray a lack of simplicity. Or if we were to start to be complicated. Or if I were to start taking myself too seriously. Or, like I said, if, if people, oh, there's Father, he, he looks like he's in a bad mood. Or, or we, if we could not take a criticism for a homily or the way we did something liturgically, even if we were right, even if we were following the prescriptions of the germ, of the general instruction to the Roman Missal, as you know, and somebody said, oh, Father, in, in this parish they did it like this, and da-da-da-da. And, and we received them with a smile. 
You know, earlier I was mentioning at table this fellow, uh, Arthur, Arthur Brooks, this American speaker who's written a number of books on friendship, on loving one's enemies. He has talked about the epidemic of loneliness in our modern society. And he has coined the phrase, I think he's the one who's coined it, that he calls it the culture of contempt. The culture of contempt. It's a very powerful phrase that he uses. And he spoke about going to a, to a conference where a man was, was an expert marriage counselor and, and giving advice about marriage, marriages. And, uh, and this fellow was asked... What, what are the things that most predict divorce? And well, this man himself had been married for many years and he'd helped many people who were in danger of divorce. But he was an expert and he said that he, he could predict when a couple would divorce. Like within, he said he had, let's see, what was it he said he had? Within 94% accuracy, he could predict whether a couple that he observed for 10 minutes would divorce within three years. He had 94% accuracy just by watching them interact. And he said that the number one predictor that a couple was going to divorce, number one, he said, eye rolling. The act of eye rolling. There were other signs, and they were not anger, they were not arguments, but they were contempt. And, of course, an eye roll, showing the whites of your eyes, does that. It transmits the sense of the worthlessness of another. And when you go, you just roll your eyes. And he talks about other things like derisiveness, sarcasm, dismissal. Lord, have I ever been dismissive of anyone, whether I know them or not? Have I been dismissive of a politician, of, of their ideas, their opinions? Of course we can disagree with people, and there are people, lots of people out there who have I don't know, wrong ideas, heretical ideas, what, what have you. But they're still human persons. Am I dismissive of members of the hierarchy? They may indeed be quite wrong, but they still deserve a respect, our candid, humble acceptance of them as human beings that are loved by Jesus Christ. And that... That takes humility and it takes simplicity to acknowledge. Otherwise, we could start being, you know, we could start being hypocrites. Saint Therese of Lisieux wrote, "We should judge our neighbor favorably in every circumstance, and make it become a habit of ours to overlook his faults." Just as we almost spontaneously give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, let us also make this an integral factor of our relations with those about us. Okay, well, that's a, that's a good, right there, bang. It's a good resolution. Lord, I want to overlook the faults of others. 
And she, of course, understood well that we all have the tendency to judge the actions of others around us negatively. It's practically when we say judge, we practically immediately mean negatively. And that this is based on the habits that we've developed, but that these habits can indeed be changed. We can, we can stop, and we can end up stop being uh, judgmental. It can happen. But it requires a humble simplicity to do that. Lord, I ask, ask you now, give me that humble simplicity. Give me that humble, simple, sincere, joyful ability to acknowledge the others as they are with their quirks and, and with their setbacks. You know, if, if you have a hard time with someone, this person, oh, they just annoy me, we think. Well, then just picture or imagine how they might be loved by Jesus and how the Lord Jesus looks upon them. The gaze of Jesus, of course, is never a gaze of disdain or contempt or scorn or sneering or condescension. Lord, you never roll your eyes at anyone. I don't think the Lord even rolled his eyes at the Pharisees. I don't think he rolled. I don't think he said, oh, here they go again, these Pharisees. Oh. It was more one of sorrow. He was pained. I mean, we can, we, we can be wrong. We can sin. We can even have great defects that accompany us all our lives. But Jesus will never roll his eyes at us. He will never be scornful or dismissive of us. Yesterday, or not yesterday, but the other day I was reading the Gospel of St. Luke and it talks about just an interesting line that I just, I don't know, I never noticed it before, but it, our Lord was speaking and it was the passage where he was talking about hypocrisy, but it, it says that People were coming to Jesus and they were trampling on one another to get to him. It was like a stampede, I guess. I don't know. But they, they were just like so desirous of seeing Jesus. And uh, they were not like kids at a rock concert trying to see their favorite hero and dancing to the music. I suppose that has happened, that people have trampled on each other in rock concerts. But perhaps the people that were trampling on one another and came close to Jesus, maybe, I would suggest this, that they had experienced some kind of dismissive and judgmental looks, and now they understood that if they, became, if they came within the radius of our Lord's gaze, that they would receive the gaze of love from Jesus. So it's not so much that they were looking at him, that they wanted to be seen by him. They wanted to fall within the purview, the radius of his gaze. Imagine if you, you see a famous person, you see the Pope or something, and you can wave at him from a distance and he kind of waves at, at that crowd generically. But if you suddenly you know, connect that he's looking at me, that's very different. I think... Uh, I think that when the people are trampling on each other, this was not a violent moment. 
It was an atmosphere of cheerful cheerfulness. It, it wasn't like an end of the year, excuse me, an end of the world scenario. And you know, these days we often hear people talk about very cataclysmic, in cataclysmic terms, about the environment, about the pandemic, about the polarization of our society and of politics. They talk about, you could say, the church in very cataclysmic and, and very, very sort of black and white terms. We are hearing statements on this is the most important election of our generation. You know, like, like those are very, very strong expressions that seem to suggest that this is so important. And, and maybe what we just need is a little bit more humor. You know, when, when St. Josemia felt the call from God, what did he say to describe himself at that time? He said, I had nothing but my youth, God's grace, and a good sense of humor. That's all. Youth, God's grace, and humor. I mean, that's what kept him going. Humor, good humor. And he felt that God had, had given him good humor, like a seed bed, which, in which God could plant his seed for, you could say, a, like a supernatural seed that would be a specific plant that he, would, that he wanted to grow in his soul. Yeah, yeah, at the same time, you can't force anybody to be cheerful. You can't say, you must be cheerful, you know, smile. No, it just doesn't work. You've you got to be simple. You've got to be natural. And he was not a, a stand-up comic, right? Uh, he knew how to lighten up the situation, uh, you know, during the Civil War. There's some story. I didn't quite get the exact nature of the story, but I know when they were going into Andorra at a very dangerous time. In other words, you know, the, 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 um, the militia had received orders from their superiors to shoot upon sight, without question, anybody that they that they saw in, in the woods escaping any refugees. And they, they were refugees. He was with a group of others. And they knew that uh, the civilian they would just be shot. And then at one point, they were resting in an area and they decided to, as I understand the story, is that they were saying the, the rosary and to keep warm, they were kind of walking in a circle and saying the, the Hail Mary's the, the, the rosary, and it was kind of like they were pretending like this was their living room and that they were kind of walking, you know, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. And then at one point, one guy just stepped out to, to whatever, to go out, and he jokingly said, okay, you stepped out, now don't forget, close the door. You know? But there was, there was no door to close, I mean, it was, you know, and, uh, and they all laughed you know, while, while they were praying the rosary, you know. And uh, he said, you're letting the cold air in. No, that's all there was. It was just cold air. It's, yeah. And you know, we, we say at the, at the last part of the prayer card of St. Josemaria, it says, Grant that I too may learn to turn all circumstances and events of my life into occasions of loving you and serving the church, the Pope, and all souls with joy and simplicity. With joy and simplicity. Lighting up the paths of the earth with faith and love. With joy and simplicity. Have I, have I been uh, curmudgeon? Have I been just negative? Have I been cataclysmic? It's very good that we look at our moods. You know, we fall into bad moods. 
And you know, bad moods, they happen. They happen to everybody. We get triggered by something, some statement, or bad, that we feel bad, we feel we have got a bad stomach ache, or whatever reason we get into a bad mood. It doesn't really matter. We are triggered into it. But once we're in a bad mood, it's our decision to stay in the bad mood. There are things that cause, you know, whatever. It happens. But we can't, we can't just stay in it. And often we, when we're in a bad mood, we try to figure out what the problem is. Uh, but that, trying to judge that is one of the biggest problems, to try to figure out why I'm in a bad mood. Don't worry about it. Just, just step out of it. So we ask our Blessed Mother, whose soul magnified the Lord, that she help us, especially in stressful moments, to always maintain a disposition of simplicity, but especially of this, this joy. Because people have to see priests that are joyful, that are cheerful. We don't have to be, we don't have to be clowns or big talkers or, or jokes up our sleeve all the time. But we have to be, I don't know, a simple sincerity, a simplicity, and an, an underlying confidence that God is always there and everything will be okay. It's okay. It's okay. And that makes us happy because God is our Father. That's the, I mean, that's the root of our, our joy, our divine filiation. We see things not as we have figured it out, but as God sees it. And God has a plan for everything, even things that we don't understand. He looks upon us with, with such love. He, step into the gaze of, of Jesus' purview, the, the purview of God's love. I read recently uh, uh, an article from The Guardian about a journalist, a journalist who recounted how her brother's friend was on a business trip to Mali and she, he was staying in the, the Radisson Hotel there in Mali and uh, suddenly the place was stormed by Islamic militants and ultimately 170 hostages were taken and 20 of those hostages were actually killed. And so this, her brother's friend, who was a Canadian, was on the seventh floor when all this happened. And there were gun battles that were exploding and right below him, the floor below him. And he was up on the seventh floor and just escape was impossible. So he locked himself in a bathroom. He, he got underneath the sink and he started to text his wife, his family, and her brother. The first text. Things are a little tense inside the Radisson at the moment, Simon. Any English humor available? He was looking for jokes. And he heard shot, gunshots. Reply, is the fridge stocked? Uh, they probably won't charge you for it. And their thread stretched across three hours as he was underneath the sink. It's tense, poignant, but it was above all peppered with a lot of humor. Just checking, did you cancel your business meeting for the day? What will you write on the hotel's tell us how we did card? In the end, the friend was rescued and his last text reads, out and safe. And the Malian uh, commando saved his life, but really 
it was his own humor that just carried him through. It helped him to stay calm, intact, himself, under these just absolutely unfathomable pressures. So, humor helps us, and it can help us during the lockdown too. We know it has a lot of power, and, and uh, you know, people maybe, I don't know if they're going more to stand-up comedians, but uh, let us ask the Lord for this cheerfulness, you know, simplicity and joy that has to be part of our, well, our day-to-day experience. It'll give us a lot more resilience. It'll make us more creative, more resourceful. Pope Francis often uses the word cheerfulness or joy He said, no Christian can exist without joy. And he said that even through life's difficulties, the Christian knows that he can trust in Jesus and find hope. He speaks about living joy and amazement because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even if we are plagued by trials, we can never lose the joy of knowing that God regenerated us in Christ and gave us hope. So let's, let's, not, let's not make this purely something theoretical or you know, just idea-based. It's really got to be real. It's got to be integrated. We have to make the decision to be cheerful. And it can only happen if we're simple and we ask our Blessed Mother for her humility. You know, My soul magnifies the Lord, she said. She was so happy at that moment when she realized that the incarnation had taken place. She'll intercede for us so that we are humble, cheerful, and simple priests. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.